0: Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Welcome to episode 17 of Rave Dad's Diary. Today, I'm talking to producer and DJ Sydney Blue. She was based in Berlin and living her best life, performing and making dance music when the pandemic hit last year. She'll talk about what it was like producing her latest album, Conviction, between a studio in Berlin and her mom's kitchen in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Don't forget to follow Ravedad's diary on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with me or have questions or feedback, send me an email ravedad at cjsw.com. I'm starting the show off today with a new collaboration between two great Canadian producers. This week, Noah Pred and The Mole are releasing the Distant Neighbors EP. All proceeds from the EP go to Raven Trust, a nonprofit with a mission to provide access to justice for Indigenous nations. This is the track Portal Gun. Let's rave.
1: We'll be right <laughs>
0: You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My name is Paul Brooks, and my guest today is DJ and producer Sydney Blue. Sydney, you released a new album this month in March titled Conviction, and it was produced between Berlin and your hometown of, of Thunder Bay. Tell me about the experience of creating this album through this really weird period of time
2: it's been such a weird period of time it it's been really cool uh, doing it also in a way because of the fact that I was able to have two completely different sources of inspiration to write it uh it started by me being in Berlin and moving there Uh, to get re-inspired musically. I had been living in North America for the past... Well, I've been living in North America my whole life. But I, I had been touring in North America specifically, you know, for the past 10 years. I wanted to get deeper into the potential sounds that I could uh start making uh in my my music. I wanted to experience Berlin because it just seemed like you could go there and do whatever the heck you wanted and like really truly tap into this like authenticity that you know one might have if they're not focusing too much on what other people are wanting. Hmm. So it seemed like most of the artists that were coming out of there at the time I witnessed were uh, Exactly that they were not so worried about I need to play music or make music that all these other people are making to fit on all these labels to be big, it was more like how do I be the most unique artist kind of thing, and I really liked that and I was kind of looking to get like I said re inspired. And I figured that was the best place to go. And I also hadn't fully broken into Europe yet. And so I felt like it would, if I had to choose a place to go in Europe, that was the place to go. It was also very cheap to live, great food. uh, And and so many expats live there. So um, I, I instantly made friends with a huge group of people that were all from different countries. I'm still friends with them, very close with them right now. Um, and, uh, yeah. So we started going out all the time. Like the, the culture is going out nightlife. That's their whole culture in that, uh, city. And, um, people take it very seriously. They, um, you know, schedule their week around their favorite DJs and they go out and it doesn't matter. Like, I feel like that's something you do when you're younger here, but it's not necessarily something you do once you, circuiting older and getting into like real life jobs and things like that this is people do this like for their entire lives in berlin uh it's not something people don't say oh you know i'm too old to go to the bar like people of all ages go out it's a part of the culture i love it there's no shame around it And um so and I still was in that mode myself. Like I still loved going and listening to an amazing DJ set and dancing the night away, you know. So that was what started me in writing the album because I had just moved there beginning of 2019. I was really inspired. Uh you know, I I started writing music, started renting studio time to actually master and mix the records down. I think I had written 10 records or 9 records in total until March 2020. And when that had happened when the covid thing happened, I had already been planning to come back to North America. I was on a flight. I had some shows in North America. I was only planning to come to North America for a month and the world started shutting down. Borders started closing. So I figured the best place for me to go Nobody knew what was going to happen, so I figured the best place for me to go was uh Thunder Bay because where my mother was, because she's alone up there, there's no virus up there, it's a very isolated city. And so I went there and I spent you know uh, the whole year practically there because it just never ended, <laughs> and there was no point in me going back to Berlin if I wasn't going to be having any opportunity to make money and DJ because that's what I was living. You know my my life my career my income was was djing and making money and paying rent that way so i i wasn't going to be djing anywhere all the clubs were closed why go and pay rent in a and go back to europe so i stayed and i had to finish the album and i did and i wrote the last like six records here in canada and i think i finished the album at the end of august and then we started the plans for releasing and things like that
0: tell me about how uh the the experience of kind of living between those two places uh has presented itself on, on, on the album. Uh, are, are there, are there like different sounds from, from the different locations or, uh, ways that the, the, the isolation and uncertainty of the year has uh, played into the album or is this, uh, you know, looking forward, future facing?
2: I think that they were all, very reflective of what I was thinking at that exact moment. For example, like Temple was written when I was in a super melodic house mode, Uh, same with monologue. I was going to a club called Caterblau a lot. And ironically, Temple ended up coming out on Caterblau's label (laughs) initially. There was a couple of the records that are on the album or the songs that are on the album that came out in the fall. Uh, one of them is called Conspiracy. It came out on Carlo Leo and Nathan Barato's label in November, and another one is called uh, Temple, and that came out in September on Caterblaze label, Catermucca. Um, and so those, and and for example, when I wrote Conspiracy, I think Conspiracy was the first record I wrote when I had just uh, gotten to Thunder Bay in March of 2020. And I thought to myself, damn, I'm going to have to really finish this album here. And I literally wrote Conspiracy at My Mother's Kitchen Table. And it's very sample-based. It's, um, you know, I found, you know, you know, the uh, vocal. And I basically literally made that record, I remember, at the kitchen table. And at that time, I had just landed in... Uh, Thunder Bay and I had been here for a couple of weeks and I remember I was refreshing all of the plugins on my computer I got a whole new slew of brand new plugins to instruments to make music virtually and uh, I was like I need a keyboard actually this keyboard right here (laughs) I had like been like I can't, like, I need something to write riffs on, so I just uh, ordered this really quickly. This is, like, the third MIDI keyboard I own. I don't, I don't need any more, but, like, in every city that I live in, I have a different <laughs> MIDI keyboard, you know, because it's, like, I, I was, like, you know, I'm not going to ship everything. And eventually, I did ship my studio speakers from Toronto here uh, to Thunder Bay, but... I needed to refresh my stuff, especially if I was going to be working and making music in Thunder Bay. So I, um, I just remember that time and I had been on the phone a lot with Carlo cause he's my friend. And I was like talking to him about synths and plugins and stuff like that. So I was in like that tech house, Carlo Leo. And I was like, I need to, I want to release really something. I'm authentic. And, uh, I had been showing him some stuff I was doing, and he, like, gave me, like, pure feedback on exactly what they were looking for on the label. I wrote Conspiracy. He was like, this is insane. We're so signing this. So that was, like, you know what I mean? That time, that month, uh, March and April of 2020. And everything is always reflective of what I'm vibing. I might have heard a record or been on a dance floor or something like that and heard something and been inspired by it and then that turns into what i end up making
0: listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW, and we're listening to the track Temple from Sydney Blue's latest album, Conviction. Sydney is my guest today, and she's talking about how this new album came together out of necessity between the cities of Berlin and her hometown of Thunder Bay, Ontario. I just get this amazing visual of you sitting at your, at your mom's kitchen table with your, your MIDI keyboard and, you know, talking to people in, in Berlin, in Europe. And, uh, like, what, what did that feel like? (laughs) Was it, was it weird?
2: A hundred percent. It was a weird time, but I had this insane feeling of like, it was really intense of like, I need this time right now. I have never been so relieved to stop my life than that March of 2020. There was something that wasn't working for me. I just was... I had just come out of um, trying to plan my WMC party, my 10-year anniversary of my blue party. It didn't go as well as I had hoped. We were were working with a promoter that was kind of not very... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, professional and so then we moved to work with another promoter and it worked out with him except uh they ended up releasing the lineup really late and we were like one of the last WMC parties to be announced and because of that coronavirus was going crazy ticket sales were low This was supposed to be my big W I had spent so much time trying to put this event together. And then all of a sudden it just, everything started falling apart. And I mean, I'm glad it didn't happen because it was probably not going to be what I had wanted it to be in the first place. And then just the relentless touring that I had been doing for the past, I don't know, 10 years straight, constantly hustling for more gigs, The entire business model of the dance industry is based on touring if you want to make money and make a living off of it as your full-time job. And it's exhausting. It's really tiring. And sometimes artists don't take the time to focus on what their product is as much as they should. And they get stuck in a rut and they don't necessarily pass on to another level because of the fact that they're just constantly just trying to do what they can when they can And then they're touring, you know, and just playing the same gigs over and over again. And like, I was just really tired from it. The move to Berlin was really effective for me, but it didn't start becoming effective until just after I left, because that's when all the records that I had made in Berlin started getting signed. So it's like, um, I had invested the time in being there, but like, it was just starting to show the difference in my career from being there. And then I had to leave. (laughs) So um, I I definitely don't regret going. It was an amazing experience, but I had to really invest a good two years into that city. You
0: are working, you have a new album out, and you're also working on this proposal for the Juno Awards to introduce a new category for Underground Dance Single of the Year. The, The Junos currently has Dance Recording of the Year and Electronic Album of the Year categories. So why do you think that the Junos needs another electronic music category?
2: Because a huge group of artists are not being represented that work full-time as musicians, and they do great in their careers. They tour, they sell records, they chart on Beatport, but they're not being represented at the Junos. And I think that the Junos tagline is representing all genres of music. And they're not doing that right now because, well, in electronic music, they're not doing that because of the fact that when the submissions come up every year, it's always the same like group. It's always the commercial people. And the thing that this all stemmed from was me being on the dance recording of the year committee. I was on the committee for two years and I witnessed everything that was going on. And that's when this started for me and the people that are a few of the people that are involved that have been with me in this since the beginning. It's not me by myself. It's a group of us. And I'm just kind of like the spokesperson or the person talking for it, but like, there's a huge group of us. Um, It started from a few of us being on Dance Recording of the Year Committee. Um, It was great that they asked us to come and do it for representation, but for the underground. But uh, when we would sit in those meetings and listen to all of the submissions, there would be some really good underground records that were submitted. Like, there was like a... I don't want to get into details of what records, but like there were some solid releases that came out, charted on Beatport, uh, submitted. You would think because of what kind of a record label it was on, and the how it did in in the world of you know Beatport and the underground industry, that it would have gotten a nomination. But when you put it against a major label commercial EDM record and the people who are voting on the in the voting committee like the committee basically which I was on we it's our job to solicit uh, submissions It's our job to go and get people to submit so we would get all these people to submit and then the judges would be recommended by the people that were running the category and a lot of them work for major record labels. A lot of them worked for major record labels that these EDM artists were on. Um, A lot of uh, them worked for, say, major platforms uh, like Stingray or Spotify, you know, like something that's not, people who are not working in the underground dance industry and probably don't even know what's happening in it. So you put a really solid underground dance record up that did well, even went top 10 on b or something, up against a major label EDM, almost pop record, all the EDM stuff is going to get. And the, the, and the major labels are the ones that people are the ones that are judging it. They're not going to vote for the cool underground deep house record. It's just not going to happen. So why are we as artists being asked to submit Continually, And then we just, you know, there's never any uh, nominations for uh, underground house or underground anything dubstep, you know, all of the things that there's a specific description in the Juno categ- electronic categories. And it says that they represent techno, that they represent house music, progressive house, all that stuff, but always like techno and the underground genres would never get any nominations. There was one Underground nomination that happened in 2019 and it was for Azari. And because he had a vocal on it and he had been nominated in the past for Azari in three. Uh, but outside of that, there's been none in like 10 years or something. So the problem with that is that all of the underground artists that are doing really well, they'll maybe, it's like a hundred bucks to submit. To the Junos. So they'll like maybe submit one year, two years. After two years, they see the nominations, they're all EDM. There's no underground people being nominated. So there's no inspiration there for them to keep submitting. So then they just stop submitting. So now here we are in 2021. And literally no underground people are submitting because what's the point? And it's been, and believe me, this has been a conversation that's going on for four years now. Mm. I observed this in 2017. And now it's just being presented to the final chairs in the next couple of weeks. But like, this was happening in 2017. It was an observation that was made by me and some other committee members we decided to start our own little like, private committee to start an initiative to separate off into our own category around 2017. We met, had conference calls, and started putting together data to show that we were a separate community. And over the course of two years, we gathered like... 200 uh support letters from everybody in the entire industry pretty much artists promoters club owners festival heads people that work in underground dance in canada everybody's stoked about it everybody's like yes this needs to happen it doesn't make any sense that there's not this doesn't exist even and i mean we gathered this data for a couple years 2017 to 2019 and we went to the junos in 2019 and we had our very first handover of the proposal in september 2019 and it was received really well um the Caris, the organization that runs the junos they we sat with them with alan reed the guy who runs the whole thing and i mean they were so receptive They were also really honest about the fact that they didn't know much about electronic music. And I I think that that's very admirable for them to say that because it's worse if you're pretending. You know what I mean? It's worse if you're trying to act like you know about what's going on when you don't. And they were super transparent about the fact that they wanted to learn more about our industry. And so we presented a really great presentation to them. Um, I think. And the proposal, I mean, it spoke for itself. Then after that, we started going through some other things like where we started talking to the other categories. Um, And then uh, we had a meeting in late 2019 with the other categories. They were pretty cool about us coming on board and doing it. Then COVID-19 happened and the Junos got canceled. And so we think that this category would have probably existed this year for the Genos coming up if um, the COVID-19 stuff hadn't happened, but like they decided to not add any categories over the last year because of the fact that they were just dealing with the fact that they had to cancel their whole award show. And how are we going to give out these awards now that the award shows canceled? They ended up having like a virtual show in like July or something. And now they're doing another like COVID kind of like pivot Situation where they actually only just announced the nominations uh, a few weeks ago and their Junos are going to happen in May. Normally the Junos happen in March. The nominations are announced in February. So they're still pivoting with the climate of the world right now. Hopefully next year we'll be back to normal. Who knows? But they came to us at the beginning of this year said, okay, we're ready to move forward with your final presentation. So... That's how this has all come about and, and gotten into the media, but we're very much a group of people that have been doing this for four years, and uh, yeah, we feel really good about it.
0: Well, I've seen a really a positive response in in my circles, and a lot of people are are talking about this. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, do you think the Juno Awards and other traditional music industry awards can can serve uh, this generation of independent and underground electronic artists uh, could Canadian dance music better be served by something new, something different?
2: Do you mean like another award show?
0: maybe I don't know. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? Has it crossed your mind?
2: <laughs> it is not yeah I have spent the last four years putting together this thing, and I am no interest in trying to make a new award show. <laughs> <laughs> That could be a very cool concept if somebody wanted to do it, but it won't be me. Um, I am, I think that getting a Juno is important if you're an artist, no matter who you are. And I think that it's just something that if you're going to say that you're representing all uh, genres of music, then you should be. And if you're really, truly going to represent the electronic music community, then you should look at the entire electronic music community. And really, I just think that nobody brought it to their attention before. And the thing with the dance recording people and electronic album people, it's their job when you're a chair to get as many submissions as possible. So why would you bring it to the heads of the Juno's attention that there's a group, a community being left out when these people are contributing to submissions? Well, not very many anymore, but like for a while they were contributing to your submission count. I mean, when you're a chair of the committee, I, and this is what it's, they, even Alan Reed said in the, um, his response in the article was, we, we can't have 10 or 20 submissions. We all know that that our underground community has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of tracks really see here but the thing with the junos is they need as many submissions as possible in each category you know 100 or more they like um, so it's not really in the best interest of a person who's running a committee to be like Oh, the underground people are never getting nominated. You know, it needs somebody needs it's in the underground needs to bring it to the Geno's attention. And that's what we did.
0: Well, I'm glad that you did. If yeah, people too. are interested in learning more about this topic, is there somewhere that they can go? Or is there somewhere where um, your, uh, your 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 group is is posting information and updates?
2: We, this is a couple things that I'm, I'm going, I'm just in the midst of making plans about this. I'm going to do a Facebook Live probably in the next few weeks about it with my two uh, partners in this from the beginning, Mark Quayle and MC Flipside. Um, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to open to some questions if anybody has any questions about all of it. Um, and then another thing we're probably going to do with our whole committee is I would like to do a clubhouse chat um, with our entire committee as speakers so everybody can say their piece about why they're involved in it. i basically got a 12-person committee from Andrea Graham is one of them, Isis Graham is also one of them, and uh, Mikey DeRosa, so you know them, um, and it, all these people, they represent different areas of Canada, different communities, different groups, and they all work in underground dance. So every, it's. I think I'll do a clubhouse chat where every single one of them will be able to say their piece about it. Um, I'm definitely the article just came out. There's a lot of people talking about it. I definitely have thought over the last week that I need to start answering maybe some questions that people have about it, to or clarifying a few things that. I've seen posted that were not necessarily correct. Mm -hmm. So I definitely will be doing like some sort of a Q and a in the next few weeks online about it. So I would just say, stay tuned to my social media. It'll probably be a Facebook live situation. um, And uh, there will be something that, will be dedicated to this in the next few weeks
0: sydney blue thank you so much for talking to me today i want to end on a track from your new album conviction what are we going to listen to
2: well i would choose nightshade by featuring amalia leandro it's a nice dark underground house record
0: awesome thanks so much i Hello, my name is Ohama, and I grew up on a potato farm in Western Canada, and you're listening to CGSW 90.9. Episode 17 of rave dad's diary is coming to a close rave dad's diary is written produced and hosted by me paul brooks the show is produced on treaty 7 land at cjsw 90.9 fm in calgary alberta season one theme music is Orchestra lab by guido released on punch drunk records the rave dad's diary logo is by homesick don't forget to check out rave dad's diary on the web pbrooks.ca slash diary You can see photos and links from the shows and follow the show on Instagram at Diary. Stay safe. We'll see you next week.
3: Our styling might sound a little familiar. Perhaps it reminds you of a certain psychedelic rock band prominent from the 1970s, or rather their latter work without a certain Roger Waters. That's right, that's Pink Floyd's David Gilmour you're hearing. But who he's with might surprise you. That's what's on the reference desk this week. My name's Andrew Baldock, Here on the reference desk, I scour the CJSW library for odd albums, fascinating bands, and other projects that make you go, hmm. Today I've pulled out Metallic Spheres, a project by The Orb, featuring David Gilmour. Before I get into the music, let's talk about these artists for a bit. 1988, The Orb starts out as an ambient house duo in London, England. Their sound is psychedelic in nature, but with a relaxed vibe, drawing comparisons to Brian Eno and Kraftwerk. This made them popular with the chemically adventurous clubbers for when their night was winding down and their high gradually came down to earth. While the Orb has perpetually been a duo, only founding member Alex Patterson has stayed with the project for its entire lifespan. For Metallic Spheres, Patterson worked with Killing Joke bassist Martin Youth Glover and, of course, guest legend David Gilmour. And collaborating with David Gilmour made a lot of sense. Live performances of The Orb often come with psychedelic imagery that has drawn comparisons to Pink Floyd's live shows. One interesting factoid is that The Orb has drawn a bit of negative attention from other musicians for his liberal definition of sampling which somewhat blurs the line between it and an outright cover. He rarely gets authorization to use the segments he samples, and in regards to those angry with him, he stated, they don't even know the half of it. He goes on to say that he finds a beauty and cleverness with slipping in unlicensed samples without anyone noticing fans have tried many a time to try and guess the origins of his samples, The Orb's record labels have cautioned him saying, don't tell anyone where you get your samples until we get them cleared. As for David Gilmour, well, anyone who's been on Earth for a while has heard of Pink Floyd or seen their iconic Prism logo at some point in their life. While not a founding member of the band, Gilmore did join slightly before the departure of Sid Barrett, which, for all intents and purposes, makes him a founding member of the post-Barrett era of Pink Floyd. And for that matter, he ran the band after the departure of Roger Waters, who really was the creative force that made The Wall, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, what they were. Metallic Spheres is The Orb's 10th studio album and was released in October of 2010. It consists of two tracks that are subdivided into parts in that way that progressive rock bands are all so terribly fond of. The overall sound of the album fits that ambient, chilled-out psychedelia that made The Orb famous and goes extremely well with David Gilmour's guitar work that, if you ask me, is more reminiscent of the post-Waters era of Pink Floyd rather than their heyday. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that this is not a David Gilmour solo album. This is first and foremost an Orb album. Gilmour was not involved in their contribution to the album in any way. Rather, he added his guitar parts as the composition became fully formed. That being said, don't think for a second that his parts might feel tacked on. Gilmour's virtuosity and the Orb's clever composition make for a beautiful collaboration.
4: radio waves are caused by the vibrations of electrons listen to cgsw's low frequency electromagnetic radiation transmissions on 90.9 fm broadcasted in calgary on treaty 7 territory and the metis nation of alberta region 3